And uh, as we're going in there on this particular trip, my mom tells me, she's like, Anthony, okay, look, I, I'm going to go uh, exactly what I need. I know what I want. Uh, you stay right by me um, because I want to get out of here as fast as possible. I'm like, okay, mom. But as a five-year-old, like, you never really listen, you know, especially going into your favorite store. So we're going into Michael's. And, and as soon as we get in there, out of the corner of my eye, uh, I see red shiny object. And everything my mom just told me goes out of my other ear. So I, I go over to this red shiny object and I take it in my hand and I am just enamored by this thing, okay? I can't tell you what it is to this day. But I'm looking at it and I, I remember it was just so awesome and I'm just looking up and down and I, I get so excited about this red shiny object that I, I want to share it with someone. So naturally, who do I want to share it with? My mother. So I turn around, and I look, and I'm like, Mom, she's gone. She is nowhere to be found. Now, if you're a five-year-old in this moment, first time being separated from your mother, uh, the thoughts that start to come to your mind are like, I'm going to die, or uh, I'm not going to be able to eat, or I'm not going to be able to get home. So these are the thoughts that I'm thinking as I begin to realize that my mom is nowhere to be found. And soon reality sets in uh, that, that as loud as I'm screaming, she is not hearing me. So I begin to scream louder and louder, and then I start to tremble, right? As, you know those five-year-old breakdowns that they have when, like, everything goes wrong? Well, me, that's what was happening times ten, okay? I had tears flowing down my face, snot bubbles popping. I'm just screaming, Mommy! Mommy! Unintelligible words. You can't even hear it. It's like, I think he's saying Mommy. I don't know. Well, uh, kind of the worst thing possible happens, um, if you've ever been to, like, one of these stores, like, particularly Joann's, they're a little worse. Like, if you go into Joann's, I feel like everyone there is just always angry. Like, all of those ladies just hate people. I don't know. And so, like, in Michael's, I got one of those store clerks who found me, and she's like, I hate my life. I was supposed to clock out in two minutes. What the heck? So she comes up to me, and she pulls me up to the front of the store, and she gets on the intercom, and she's like, hello, dear customers, would, would the mother of the five-year-old boy who lost his mom please come to the front of the store? Thank you. Click. So my mom hears this over the intercom. I hear it too. I'm realizing that my mom's hearing it uh, somewhere in the store, and I start to think to myself, okay, I, I, I was thinking I was going to die uh, beforehand, but now that my mom has just been embarrassed in front of everyone inside of the store, I realize I am going to die now. <laughs> so I see my mom coming, beelining it to me. She's walking really fast. She has like this look of intensity in her eyes. I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm dead. I'm going to get like the spoon when I get home. All right. We had like a wooden spoon. It was painful. So she comes up to me and uh, she, she's walking straight up and she goes like this. And I'm like, ah, and I cower like a five-year-old who knows that he's in trouble because I did something wrong. And she just wraps me up in this big, big hug, like this bear hug. And she gives me this sloppy wet kiss on the side of my cheek. And I'm like, I'm just, I just remember thinking, what just happened? Am I in heaven? Like, is, is, that, is that what just happened? I'm dead, right? This is, okay. And in that moment, what had happened is my mom turned to me and she says, Anthony, I was so scared that someone had taken you. You were lost, but now I found you. And I am so happy to have you back again. And in that moment, I realized the love that my mom had for me. Because I deserved a spanking. Like, if, I'm sure some of you parents in here, if you, if you lost your kid and, and, and they shouted it over the intercom, the first thing you would say to is, where did you go? Why, why did you do that? You know, like, that's what I would do. Like, good thing I'm not a parent yet. But I just think, why did my mom react that way? Why did she not give me what I deserved? 
And the truth is, is that she loves me so unconditionally that no matter what I did in that moment, she was just happy that I was back in her arms. Today, we're going to um, dive into Scripture. Uh, so I, I would ask you all to open your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one, um, the ushers can bring you one. Just raise your hand if you, if you don't have one, and they will gladly bring one to you. Um, and you can keep that bad boy, too. That's our, that's our present to, to you guys. Um, but this morning, we're going to be opening up to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be diving into the story uh, that Jesus, Jesus shares three parables, and particularly the last one uh, is about the prodigal son. And some of you guys, uh, I guarantee in this room, you're already hearing like, oh, the prodigal son, I've heard this story a million times. I, I, want, you to, I want you to buckle up, um, because I, I think that today as we read through this and we dive into what, what Jesus is saying here, I guarantee there is something you can glean, uh, glean from, from this. Because whenever scripture is read, God speaks. And I promise you, no matter how many times you've read a verse, sometimes, uh, whenever it's spoken, it just comes to you in a new way and you, and you learn something new. So uh, we're going to dive in today. And I think uh, for the various people who walked into this room, and maybe you walked in, whatever you walked in with, whatever pain, whatever, whatever struggles you walked into this room with, I want you to know, one, that you are loved, and two, there is a perfect end game that God has in store for you. And the truth is, is that all it takes is you to truly believe it. I, I think it's very easy for us sometimes to, to not really believe um, that God can truly do the miraculous. Even though we say we believe he created the universe, uh, and yet we, we, we sometimes come short on that idea of, man, can God really transform my life and radically change me? Um, so we're going to dive into Luke chapter 15. Um, let's start in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I'm going to pause right here really quick. Um, so if, if we've been in church for any amount of time, uh, there's, there's three things here that we probably heard a lot. We've heard about sinners, we've heard about tax collectors, and we've heard about Pharisees, right? And the sinners in this story were like, Oh man, well we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. Hey, that, that's me. Not quite. Um, some of us, maybe. But, but the, the sinners that they're talking about here in this story, these are occupational sinners. The, these are the prostitutes, the, the, the whores, the thieves, the murderers. These are the, these are the outcasts of society. They're not even allowed to, to trade with the common folk because they are so rejected by their fellow Jews. And then there's the tax collectors. You notice how they're separate from the sinners because they're like a next level dirty and you're like, why is the tax collector, yeah, they rip, the, rip people off, but like, why is that so bad? Let me explain this to you. Back in this culture, back in this time, the Roman Empire would go out and they would just conquer people with their massive army, uh, the most powerful military in the world at the time. And they would go into villages, uh, there were historical accounts where they'd go into villages up to, of up to 40,000 and just absolutely obliterate them, just kill everyone in the village because they wouldn't bow down to Caesar. So they'd go in and say, hey, bow down to Caesar or you are going to die. And so naturally, that's what happens village after village after village. But in order for them to afford uh, this army, in order for them to keep them moving forward, they had to tax people. And they taxed the people that they conquered. And what they would do is they would take one, uh, a few small percentage of the people out of the people that they were oppressing and say, hey, we're going to make you rich. You just have to tax your own people and give us the money. And so these tax collectors, they would go out 
And they would rip off their own people. So these were Jews stealing money from their own people, supporting their own oppression. And so they were hated. And if you think of like the story of Zacchaeus where he climbs up in the tree and you're like, oh, he did it to get a better sight. No, I think he was climbing up there so he didn't get shanked in the side. Because these people hated tax collectors. And here's Jesus eating with them, welcoming them. Let me tell you, um, just to put it in perspective, these aren't like common sinners. So if, if, a, if a pimp were, were to walk in through that door and he were to come in and he were to proclaim, I'm a pimp, I, I'm in charge of, uh, of a bunch of girls, sex, slavery, all of that, and he sat down here and he said, I just want to listen to this message. How many of us would sit next to that person? I don't think I would. You're kind of scared. But that's what Jesus is doing. The rabbi, the teacher. And they're starting to criticize him for it. Verse 3. Jesus responds to him in his very Jesus way. It says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus makes this bold claim and he says, Look, look if a shepherd is watching his flock and a sheep wanders off and, and gets lost— that shepherd's responsibility is duty because he is a good shepherd, the good shepherd. He walks off and goes and searches until he finds it, dead or alive. And he is desperately seeking to find this lost sheep. And so he goes out. He doesn't know if it's been eaten by a wolf. He doesn't know if it's fallen off a cliff. He doesn't know what's happened. But he searches until he finds it. And once he finds it, what does it say he does? He throws it on his, sheet, his shoulders like a crazy person. He starts running around to all his friends because he's so stoked. He found his lost sheep. He's like, ha! I found my lost sheep, suckers! You said I couldn't, but I did! And he comes home and he's rejoicing. Come on, come celebrate with me. Hey, free mutton tonight. And they just cook it up probably and eat it. <laughs> but the truth is, is they're so excited and that's exactly what happens in heaven when one person gives their life to Christ, when one person turns away, repents, and turns towards the cross, turns toward Jesus. The Pharisees, the Pharisees are saying, no, 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 the world works not in that way. The world works and you do good things and you get good things and you do bad things and you get bad things. You guys realize that that's our natural thought as humans? Because we can't comprehend unconditional love. Why does every single other religion in the world have this basis of karma except for Christianity? Because they don't, they don't serve a God of unconditional love. They serve a God of works. And that's exactly who the Pharisees were doing, were serving. And so the, the, the Pharisees in this moment, they're getting upset. They're like, what are you talking about? Us 99 righteous people, you saying God's not excited about that? And he's saying, no, 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 you're missing the point. So Jesus continues, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search, uh, search carefully f until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
I'm going to pause here really quick. This last verse um, that Jesus says, this is in direct opposition of a, uh, an old Semitic phrase uh, that the Pharisees were, would have been very familiar with. See, there, uh, what Jesus says here, he says, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Pharisees' exact phrase was, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who is obliterated. Direct opposition. Jesus is saying, look, I don't know where you got this idea of if you're doing bad things, you automatically deserve condemnation because God's hope for his children is that everyone would find him even the most lost of people. And there is hope for each and every one of them. Um, when, I was, when I was young, uh, I, I, I remember my parents, um, I always remember them in a good light. Uh, because before I could really like form memories, uh, before I was like five-ish, uh, my parents actually were not Christians. Um, and during that time, their marriage was a complete disaster. Because both of them uh, knew, had nothing to do with God, wanted nothing to do with it. Um, my mom, uh, she was off on her own. She, she was beginning to uh, start an emotional affair with a guy at work because she wasn't receiving love from my dad at home. And he was, he was off with an addiction. And it was, it was just so far away from God. Polar opposite, sprinting in opposite directions. Then one day my mom decides, she's like, hey, I, I don't want us to end in divorce for the sake of our son. Um, my brother wasn't born at the time, so it was just me. And they're like, we, we have to do something. Dad's like, ah, no, no, we're good. We should just end it. And in the last act of desperation, my mom goes to the one person in her life who has showed her any light, uh, her best friend. And her best friend goes to church, and she's a Christian. And she's like, well, why don't you come to church with me? My mom's like, I don't know about that. I've never been to church before. It's kind of weird. You guys like do weird stuff. You raise your hands when you sing. I don't know what that's about. What's going on? Then she goes to church. She begins to get plugged in. Six months later, she gives her life to Christ. Complete transformation. Not talking to the guy at work. She actually quits her job um, so that there's nothing going on there. Uh, she tries and tries and tries and tries and tries to get my dad to go to church, but he's stuck with football. So, just got to... Got a drink in one hand, remote in the other every Sunday. And so my mom goes up to him and says, please, Ron, come to church with me. So he goes to church with her finally because she's just nagging and annoying. And, and finally he goes. Some of you guys are relating to this story right now. And he shows up to church and something happens in his heart. He sees the people around him getting excited over, over something. He doesn't know what. And he's like, you guys are crazy, but I kind of like it. And eventually he comes to know Christ. And he turns away from everything he was dealing with. And together, my parents reform their marriage. And I can tell you today, they're the most awkward couple to be around because they make out all the time and it is disgusting. <laughs> but the truth is, is that God stepped into their marriage and completely transformed it because both of them committed fully to God. They gave up everything else and focused solely on their new relationship with God. They were on fire and it flipped it. This couple that was going to be a divorce, I was going to have two different houses I was going to be living at. Some of you guys, you've lived through that before. Parents who have split, maybe you're going through it right now. And I tell you that God is desperately, desperately asking the parents in those relationships to seek him 
and he can fix it. Let's continue. Last story. Jesus continues with this third parable, and um, this is for like the people coming in late to service or whatever. And he says, Jesus continues, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I'm going to pause here really quick um, because this needs explaining because this is really important. Uh, The oldest son, he's entitled in this culture to 66%, two-thirds of of the estate. The youngest son, one-third, and then all the other children, whatever. Um, So the youngest son goes up to the father and he says, Hey, um, you're not dying fast enough. Uh, I, I would like my money, please. I'm, I'm kind of done with this whole life. I'm going to go off on my own. He's tasted freedom. He's tasted it. If any of you guys, most everyone in here is older than the age of nine, so you understand what, what freedom tastes like, right? It's, it's great when you first get it. We have some seniors who are graduating, uh, just graduated, and they're going off to college, and I am terrified for them. Because I remember my freshman year of college. You are thrown into this world of freedom and you can make whatever decisions you want to make. And if you are making those decisions on your own, you will absolutely mess it up. And so I always tell the youth this. I always say, and I want you guys to hear this, sin is always sexy at first. It's sexy. It's delicious. But it always, always, always leads to ruin. And so that's what this younger boy is about to experience. Verse 13. Not long after that, the young, younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, Vegas, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The Greek word here for longed, uh, it's the same Greek word that Jesus uses in Matthew 5 when he's talking about lust. So it's a, it's a deep coveting of, of someone else's property. And so this, this, bo- uh, this young son, he, he's looking at this, these pigs' food, and he's saying, I am so hungry, I want their food. He has hit rock bottom. If you don't understand why this is important, why, why pigs are important, uh, Jews considered pigs to be the most unclean of all animals. So he is lusting after the food of the most unclean animals on earth. He has hit rock bottom. He's realized that on his own, he can't do it. And I don't want you to mistake this and think that like if you're well off in life, then you're okay. Because I had that and I still hit rock bottom. I had everything. I had great parents. I had um, uh, tons and tons of relationships. I had tons of money, all of these things. And eventually, uh, because I was running away from God and not towards him, it all fell apart. It left me with nothing. And so that's where this boy is reached. And if you're a Pharisee at the time, you're, you're, you're praising Jesus at this point. You're like, yeah, he got what he deserved. Yes. But the truth is, is the story doesn't stop there. He doesn't, he doesn't stay there. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men or your slaves. So he got up and went to his father. This is so cool. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Like, let's put ourselves in this story for a second, okay? If you're the father and you see your son from a long way off, why do you see him there? Because, because you're waiting for him to come home. You are waiting and that's exactly what the Father's doing. And again, Jesus kind of bucks the cultural system here. He breaks another code of the culture. And he says that he ran off to him, filled with compassion. Old men are not supposed to run. Culturally unacceptable. But this guy, he doesn't care about culture. He cares about his son who's returned. So he hikes up his kilt and he starts running towards him. Right? He's running all the way back. He's like, he's home. He's home. Now, if you're the son in that position, and you see your father running towards you after you just did what you did to him, what are you thinking? He's going to kill me. <laughs> I shouldn't have come back. Mistakes were made. I'll go starve. See ya. But no, you can just imagine in that moment, the son, he's, he's sitting there. He's rehearsing. I've sinned, against, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, Father. Forgive me. I'll be one of your slaves. Just, just please just let me eat. And then you see your father. And you look off in the distance. You're like, oh boy, here he comes. Uh-oh. Uh, maybe he didn't see me. Nope. Oh, he saw me. Here he comes. Great. And then he just wraps him up. A big hug and a big kiss. He didn't get what he deserved. He lived in it for a little bit as a cause of his own sin. But the truth is, is that it, that is what he deserved and that's where he deserved to stay. But our God is bigger than that. Our God loves us so unconditionally that no matter what we do, when we turn back to him, he welcomes us with open arms and there are angels rejoicing in heaven but I don't want you guys to miss this other part. Do you realize what the boy did? He gave it all up. He said, look, I'm turning away from this. This has led me to nothing. I'm going back, and I'm going to go back humbly, and I'm going to go back to God, or the Father, and I'm going to say, hey, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. He doesn't even ask for the Father to, to recognize him as his son. What is he saying? He's like, can I just be your slave just so I can have some food? That's it. What does the father say? Uh, verse, verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Uh, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's this moment where the father recognizes that his son is back. He doesn't care what he's done. He's heard stories. Oh, he knows what he did in Vegas. Those, those late nights, those entourages, wasn't good. But he doesn't care because his son's back and he's already forgiven him. He forgave him as soon as he left. And so uh, verse, verse 25 this is where we're going to pick up with the second son in the story. And for some of us in this room, we're going to relate to this pretty well. Um, and, and this may get a little uh, confrontational, but good, deal with it. Um, 
Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Uh, I highlighted dancing here for any of you closet Baptists in the room. So just, uh, so he called out one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28. Um, actually, before we go into this, I want to preface this with Imagine this, uh, if you have any kids or you know kids at all, um, perf- actually teenagers, uh, this is exactly what this sounds like, this whiny, obnoxious voice uh, of, of the jealous sibling. So, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been... I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Have you heard that voice before? I think that sometimes this applies a lot to some of us in this room. Um, Do we ever complain about maybe the music that's going on in church and say, the music is just, just, it's not my style. It's, you know, I just can't worship God because it's too loud. I, I just, I don't, I don't understand what that pastor is saying. It just didn't connect to me. I can't worship God because of it. I think that sometimes we get so entitled and so caught up with, man, I've been so committed to this church. I've done so many things that they owe me exactly what I want. But the truth is, is that the church is, it's not made just to, just to serve us. It's made so that we can serve each other, so that we can be in communion with each other, and that we can be in fellowship with one another. And this older brother completely misses that his younger baby brother is home. He misses the human aspect of the moment because he's so caught up with works. He's so caught up with what he was doing and how hard he was working and how everyone should be looking at him and worshiping him and why didn't he get the fattened calf? He didn't even get the young goat. I, I think this is a big problem with the church today. We have a lot of older brothers. And out in the world, there's a lot of younger brothers who, who are turned off because the older brothers are, are criticizing them. And sending them away as soon as they walk in the door. Because the older brothers have been doing it right the whole time. I was, uh, I was the older brother at one point in my life too. I've been both brothers, so I'm a little messed up. But um, when I was the older brother, I was actually younger than when I was the younger brother. Uh, so when I was in fifth grade, I was in this program called Awanas. Have you guys heard of that before? So Awanas, uh, for those of you guys who haven't heard of it, it's like this program held at churches for kids, and they go in and they memorize verses, and they recite them, and yay, fun. So uh, I have this book uh, that you're supposed to memorize, and week one, I look at this book, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to show everyone how smart I am. So what do I do? I take the book, and I read through it, and I memorize every single verse in there throughout every single page for the first week. Now, uh, if you're familiar with the Wanas, there's like 50, 60, 70 verses in there that you're supposed to memorize, and you're supposed to do like two every week, okay? So I did every single one of them in the first week. I show up, I recite it to my teacher, um, and needless to say, all the other kids hated me for it. In that moment, um, I I began to realize in my life that 
just because I, I was showing everyone how smart I was, how much knowledge I had, uh, I, I was missing the point of, of why we were supposed to be memorizing those verses. You see, the point of Awanas is so that you can memorize those verses so that when you're going through trials and tribulations, you recall the word of God and the spirit of God can talk to you. But that was not what it was about for me at all. It was just me showing off. And in that moment, I realized how stupid I really was for doing that. It's exactly what the older brother has done. He's worked so, so hard, and he's, he's, he's shown off a little bit. He's, he's done all the good things. He's made Papa happy. And then in the moment when, when the younger brother gets his glory for, for coming home, he's upset because it's not the way that he wanted. Verse 30. This is still the older brother talking. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So we know what he was doing in Vegas, okay? We get it. He's out there partying. Dad's probably heard of this. And the son, he was out with prostitutes and you're killing the fattened calf for him? Why don't you give him like the scrawny one that's about to die? Come on. Papa, I've been working this whole time. Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Notice the language shift here where the brother calls him this son of yours and the father corrects him again and says, no, he's your brother. I think sometimes we do this with people in the world. We, we disassociate ourselves with them. We, we pull ourselves away and we say, no, 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 they're different. But the truth is, is we are all children of God. And we're all, at one point or another, all of us have been lost sheep. And God is desperately seeking for those lost sheep to come home. God is also desperately seeking for this older brother to come home too, because he's just as lost. He's been in the church building the whole time, and he still doesn't know who God is. I think for some of us in here today, that could be us. You see, God is not, not about rules and checklists. And he's definitely not about prostitutes in Vegas. God is about us coming together and recognizing the love of God and in reaction, in response to that love, we love other people. That's everything Jesus' ministry was about. The son is returned home. Everyone is celebrating. And the older brother is still upset. And my prayer for us today is that we understand our role in that household. Our role in that household is, is to love one another despite whatever we walk in those doors with. Our role is to not look at other people differently just because they sin differently than we do. I'm, I'm going to pray for us um, here in a second. And I don't know. I don't know if uh, anything is stirring inside of you. But, man, if you walked in this door and you're struggling with marriage or, or depression or, or anger or, or addiction or anything like that, just know that there is hope. 
I want you to know that, that there is an end game that God has planned for you and all it takes is for you to recognize that his plan is greater than yours. No matter where you're at in life, no matter uh, what, what trials and tribulations you're going through, know that God is always with you and you can never do enough. You can never run far away enough to where he will reject you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us um, right now. God, Lord, I just thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to come and, and just teach your word. And, and Lord, I pray that everyone in this room, whether they are the older son, the younger son, or God, whether they got it all figured out, Lord, I pray that all of us in this room would desperately run after you and experience everything that you have to offer. God, would you show us continually day after day how much you love us? Would you share with us just how special we are and how beautiful we are in your eyes? Lord, I pray for the sons and daughters in this room as, as they go out this week. Lord, would they just recall everything that you have done for them? Pray these things in your name. Amen.